0: Hello and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage. On the 22nd of January 1918, police officers received a tip-off that a robbery gang was hiding in a house in Gresson Street in Wan Chai. They took the tram with the intention of arresting the robbers, but the resulting shootout led to the deaths of five police officers, including Irish policeman Mortimer O'Sullivan, in what became known as the Gresson Street Affray. 100 years on, Mortimer's great-niece Patricia O'Sullivan has written a book on Gresson Street and the officers who came from Ireland to Hong Kong. Patricia and I returned to Gresson Street to talk about the terrible events of that fateful day.
1: So we're now standing on the prior and having just got off a tram that's t- brought us from the Central Police Station, just as the group of detectives would have done on that Tuesday morning the 22nd of January, 1918.
0: So they came from the Central Police Station, which still stands there, the former Central Police Station in Hollywood
1: Road. And what tip-off had they received? That that morning, they'd heard from Number 2 Station, which is further up the prior, um, on the junction of One Try Road and the prior, the waterfront, that is, that... a a lime merchant had been raided on the prior in the middle of the night. And they reckoned that the the gang who'd raided this merchant was the same as the gang who had committed a a series of robberies, some really quite high-profile robberies, from both the Hong Kong Chinese and the European communities. And they had been told, they'd been given the information, that the gang had their store in number six, Gresham Street. So
0: when they set out from Hollywood Road, so the Central Police Station, who made up this
1: police team? They were led by Detective Inspector Mortimer O'Sullivan, my great uncle, his sergeant, Detective Henry Goscombe Clark, and Chief Detective Constable Sun Tai. Sun Tai had gathered seven more detective constables with him, and then actually on the way they met another of his men, Kwang uh, Sang. Sun Tai had ordered his men to take their arms with them, to collect revolvers. He didn't check whether they had, and in fact only four men were armed. Interestingly, the Europeans had not carried weapons with them. So they took a
0: tram, some of them, unfortunately, not armed, and came here to Gresson Street. Now Gresson Street today has got various market stalls, so you can pick up some fruit or some flowers. But at number six, Gresson Street, who was waiting inside
1: when the police arrived? The number six, uh, the ground floor was occupied a bit by a builder's merchants, and the bath was, as was typical, cubicles occupied by different families, and it was on the first floor, back cubicle. That there were four of the gang, and it proved that they were the gang who had committed the robberies, and that's where some of this uh, group of police met their fate.
0: So, these gang members had carried out a series of robberies in Hong Kong. They were then hiding out here in Gresson Street. What's it formerly called? The Gresson Street
1: Incident? The Gresson Street Affray is, is what the papers at the time called it. O'Sullivan had gone with a search warrant. They were hoping to find... The contraband was been stolen from the various robberies. They hadn't necessarily anticipated finding the whole gang there but having found the gang and obviously at some point they had seen enough to convince them that they have got the right gang so they went to arrest the men and take them into charge. Initially everything went to plan. The men, one of whom the ringleader, Ng Ming was wearing European style clothes the others were dressed in Chinese style clothes. Ng Ming asked if he could take his jacket. So his jacket was searched, he put it on, and similarly with the others. They sat down to put their shoes on, apparently, and then, perhaps at a prearranged signal, there was a lurch towards a box on the bed. This box, as it turned out, was absolutely stuffed with weaponry. So revolvers pistols, automatic weapons.
0: What they're really a- entering is a gun arsenal and, as you said, the European officers weren't armed. N-
1: no, and Sun Tai and Kwang Sang, who are the two constables who accompanied O'Sullivan into the back cubicle, this sergeant, Goscombe Clark, joining later they were both armed
0: so yes they encountered the gang at this back cubicle here at Six Crescent street it's amazing to think that this this sort of violence went on this killing spree and and we're standing in the middle of uh, you know market vendors on a fairly quiet morning so far yeah, yeah. um occasional be- uh, noisy trolleys but that's about it uh, a few dim sum shops open now in terms of the tip-off did they really know that they were going to be encountering armed robbers? Certainly not. Had they, had they done so, they would have armed themselves accordingly. So the police generally on the street, the average police constable on the street, would he
1: have had a gun? No, he wouldn't. They were armed only for the purposes of a particular event. They would actually go to the armory in Central Police Station and collect weapons. There were, of course, at the time, European, Indian, Chinese contingents of the force majority of the Chinese constables weren't even given weapon training. It was only the detectives who really were. The Indians were given rifle training. But you have to remember that this is towards the end of the First War, and the supply of ammunition and weapons had been disrupted. At this point, we don't have the cross-Atlantic trade that... ...had always existed and Hong Kong had been quite dependent on. A lot of the trade had come across the Atlantic... ...or the trade wasn't coming through the Mediterranean out to Hong Kong in the same way. So there was a a problem with the supply of weapons.
0: So they enter into a situation where they were fatefully unarmed... ...and uh, as you say, this gang member or gang leader then lurches for this box full of weapons turns around starts spraying in fact so indiscriminately that they actually hit one of their own gang members but uh, who goes down? I mean your great uncle Mortimer was killed.
1: Yeah, the first one to actually be shot and fall was Henry Goscombe Clark, the sergeant. Um, he was shot in lungs and chest region and it was those shots that, that killed him Mortimer O'Sullivan uh, received a number of shots and it was the shot to his brain that killed him. He fell on top in the small cubicle probably six foot by eight foot or so, he fell on top of his sergeant.
2: The Hong Kong Telegraph, January 22nd, 1918. Tragic happenings at Wan Chai. Startling sequel to raid on robbers' stronghold. Two European and other policemen shot. Rifle, revolver and bomb fusillade. One of the most serious affairs of its kind, if not the most serious, disturbed the Wan Chai district of the city today. The historic scenes which were enacted in Sydney Street, London, some few years ago, where a gang of desperate robbers held up the police with firearms, has been repeated in Gresson Street today, in a more intense form and on a much larger scale. At the time of writing, information of an exact nature is hard to get, for the siege of the street is still in progress. The story, which has most currency and which is in all probability correct, is that the police were engaged in running down a gang of armed robbers and succeeded in tracing them to a house in Gresson Street which runs from Queens Road East to the Prior East. It is known that Detective Inspector Mortimer O'Sullivan and Detective Sergeant Clark entered Number 6 Gresson Street and were engaged with others in a search when shots were heard to be fired and several men were seen to rush from the building. The alarm was at once given – this happened soon after 11 o'clock.
1: By this time, another gang member had already arrived in the cubicle, and he was certainly part of the shooting. There would appear to be one gang member who didn't take that much part, if any, in, in the shooting. That's Ng Ling, the brother of the ringleader Ng Ming. Quan Sang, Constable Quan Sang was shot repeatedly in the abdomen and he he rolled himself under the bed. He tried to fire his revolver but it just fired a blank. Suntai, as I say, who had actually just stepped out of the cubicle in order to get the handcuffs from one of his fellow officers, came back in, was shot in the hand. At that point, the other constables who were in the building, hearing the volume of fire, certainly the unarmed ones had no choice but to, to get themselves out as soon as they can or to hide, and the one or two who were armed, the volume of fire was such that they, they couldn't be effective and unfortunately it has to be said that at the time the whole Chinese contingent weren't given the authority to take the initiative and work out what to do next so without leadership of the chief constable and or the sergeant or the inspector they were at a loss as to
0: what to do. So you have a situation where you've got several officers down. I mean, how
1: many, in fact, were killed in the Gresson Street affray? A total of five officers lost their lives. In that cubicle, as the, the inspector and the sergeant were killed outright. Kwong Sang, who had rolled under the bed, would die a very horrible death two days later. Kwong uh, Kwai, who was another of the constables, had tried to hide in the kitchen, but then the, the gang heard where he was, and so Kwan Kwai then tried to get out of the window from the back of the building. The gang heard that attempt, and as he was trying to clamber down, they shot him, and he fell to the ground in the backyard of Number 6 Gresham Street, and he was probably dead at the time he fell. Now we're standing right
0: next to number 6 Crescent Street today and uh, to mark the 100th anniversary of this incident at the time was Hong Kong a violent town
1: now this level of violence was completely unprecedented there was a, a respect almost from the criminal fraternity the hong kong police although there was in the papers at the time an idea that there was a lot of gun crime in hong kong the evidence doesn 't support that, and in fact, the numbers would suggest that it 's in Hong Kong this and really I mean remembering at the time that it might be one thousand nine hundred and eighteen the, the, the new territories might have been part of Hong Kong for uh, twenty years or so. But nevertheless, it is in in Hong Kong, Island and Kowloon that the, the, the majority of crime happens. So it's really, it was a very safe, as today, it's a, it was a very safe place to be. Contrasts very sharply with earlier Hong Kong. So they'd cleaned it up quite well? They had, they had,
0: yeah. And standing here at number 6, Crescent Street, what is it today? I mean, does the building
1: still exist? The building itself doesn't exist, um, sadly, in, in this road, I mean... The, the buildings were concrete framed with wooden brick superstructure. They would have been three-storey shop houses of the the deep type. Now we have what looks like a 1960s, 1970s. Initially as a sort of low-rise single-storey, and then behind it is a great big tower block of apartments. So we can't quite see what it was.
0: Now, your grandfather was a senior police officer, as was Mortimer O'Sullivan, who, uh, who lost his life here, and also it was a grandfather's cousin who also was a
1: detective here. Yeah. Well, there's rather a lot of them, really. <laughs> yes. But there's another O'Sullivan, um, but that's Edmund O'Sullivan, who was a detective. He'd actually had a, quite a significant career as a detective inspector, but he'd died some four years earlier of uh, TB and diabetes. However, there was another man from Newmarket, County Cork. In Ireland? In in Ireland. Tim Murphy, who at that stage was a sergeant. He was a very notable detective in Hong Kong police history. He went on to become one of the first men to rise from the rank of constable to assistant superintendent, which was the the second-to-the-top job. Tim Murphy was very quickly on the scene at Gresham Street... And I I suspect, you know, he, he was one of the people who escorted the governor, Francis Henry May, at the time, to see the bodies of the men who'd been killed. And I suspect that he made sure that Patrick O'Sullivan, Inspector Patrick O'Sullivan, my grandfather... And the brother of Mortimer O'Sullivan knew about what was happening. And also, probably, uh, the brother and cousin of Henry Goscombe Clark, who one was in the police and one was in sanitary Inspector in Hong Kong.
0: So you would have had this situation here where, as you say, several police had uh, been killed. And then uh, the, the gang members who'd survived, did they all just escape?
1: No. The, the four gang members that we know of, and there may well have been others, so Ming, the ringleader, and the man who come come into the cubicle afterwards, um, escaped via the back and they climbed down the drainpipe between number four and number six at the back, arming themselves so heavily that they even had a revolver between their teeth. Because this this is in the alley that runs between that runs between the back of Queen's Road East and number two Gresson Street. And now we're just going going down a little alley that runs between the back of Gresson Street and the back of Luntap Street, the next Because it street. would have been very dense, all these narrow, narrow alleyways. Right. And these were all here, these were all the backyards of each side, and it was up through this alley that the, the two gunmen who uh, would, would escape ran. So we're here in amongst <laughs> trolleys,
0: skips. skips, so back of uh, some of the restaurants here. And also a paper recycler's. Oh, yeah, it's a bit of a yeah. recycle centre, isn't That's
1: it? Right. So, so this here is the, is the back of number six. So there's a yes, a recycling, a, a metal recycling unit and a paper recycling unit now. And we're walking now into Lundfat Street, where the chase continued. Then this, of course, leads on to Queen's Road East. Now there's a sitting out area here, but at the time these all two would have been shop houses. Ng Ling, who is the, the brother of the ringleader, was the man who th- had actually been shot by his fellows, perhaps not so involved with the, in the shooting as the others, and he came out, was shot by the police when he came out of Gresson Street, and he was the man who stood trial. But the fourth man, who had been in the cubicle originally, he was the person who, in a, in a sense, created the, what became known as the Siege of Gresson Street because he had at his disposal this box of huge amount of weaponry and the run of the place. The other residents and occupants of Grescent Street were cowering in the cubicles. This man was running up and down the stairs, firing both front and back, firing through the windows, but eventually he was corralled by the police down to the ground floor and then to the back into the backyard of Grescent Street, where it proved just to be the one man. That hadn't been obvious. He probably had a gun in each hand and he was just letting off bullets right, left and centre. That was not known for quite a few hours. So what happened to them? Did any of the gang survive and sort of head on over the border? Yeah, well, the, the man who was, as I say, corralled down to the first floor, he then shut himself up in a toilet block in the backyard. When they were sending in smoke bombs to try and get him out of that, he put a bullet through his own head and died in the hospital a couple of hours later. Of the two who escaped uh, down the back, they ran up Lundhat Street, being chased by a group of Indian constables. They then entered um, Queen's Road East, where they continued shooting, and a number of bystanders were injured and some killed. Then up Ship Street, where the, the two men parted company. The Indian constables pursued one man up through the alleys and into what appears to be a Japanese brothel. Out the back of that, there was a confrontation between the gunman and the two constables, Mula Singh and Tana Singh. Mula Singh was killed. He died in that backyard, and Tana Singh was severely injured. The other man, Ming the ringleader had been pursued by Inspector Sim from number two station. Number two station, which was on the junction between Wanshai Road and the Prior, now Johnson Road, had alerted Sergeant Henry Marriott, Kid Marriott of the Naval Dockyard Police who lived just off Ship Street.
2: The next event which stands cut clear is that Mr Kidd Marriott, who resides near to the convent in St Francis Street, which is only just across the Queen's Road from Gresson Street, heard the shots and, seizing his service rifle, went with his wife into the street.
1: And Marriott grabbed his service rifle and with the help of his wife, who stood at the front door and saw where this man was running, he went upstairs to his apartment and shot Ming as he was trying to climb over into the convent walls. There used to be up up in Francis Street, there used to be a convent. The gunman was trying to make his escape through the garden of that.
2: Mr Marriott shot at him with such good effect that he found the man in a dying condition by the time he arrived. The robber expired almost immediately and was found to have in his possession a number of revolvers and a large quantity of ammunition. The man's body was later removed to the mortuary.
1: He was shot as he, uh, just as he climbed, clambered over the wall and killed. When they went to him, he had about five guns on him, some tied to his wrist and something like, I'm, I'm doing this in memory, 80, 84 rounds of ammunition on his person Now were these uh, gang members local? They we think they probably came from Swatow or, or they might have been North Chinese but no they weren't Hong Kongers for sure but they'd been making quite a haul the man who lay dead up in Francis yard had gold lots of gold on him gold wristwatch, gold cuff links they'd obviously been doing quite well from their exploits in Hong Kong did any survive? The man who shot Mulla Singh and Tana Singh, he made his escape up into Kennedy Road and was not heard of again. The other one who survived, of course, was Ngling, who had been shot by the constables in Gresson Street. He was spotted by Inspector Sim, and this is the first time that Inspector Sim knew anything was going on. When he got off a tram, when he saw somebody lying, probably in a pool of blood, up Gresson Street, probably about where we're standing now, outside number 10. He stood trial at the magistracy. However, when it then went to the criminal court, Constable Tsongkai was so keen to get a conviction that he'd sort of rather changed his evidence to suggest that Ng Ling had been involved in some of the shooting in the, the cubicle. So Ling was acquitted. He didn't get off. He was already being investigated for a murder over in Yamate. He was deported for that. There wasn't enough evidence, but he was deported back to Canton, where he was immediately arrested and executed by the Chinese authorities who wanted him for a series of robberies and murders he'd been involved in there. Goodness, so lots- of people dead.
0: I'm talking with author Patricia O'Sullivan here in Grescent Street. She's the author of Policing Hong Kong and Irish History, Irishman in the Hong Kong Police Force, 1864 to 1950. And in fact, some of Patricia's ancestors were members of the Hong Kong Police Force. They came out from a small town in Ireland called Newmarket. Her great uncle Mortimer, would die here mortimer o'sullivan would die here in what became known as the Gresson street a which happened 100 years ago on the 22nd of january 1918 and here we are in Gresson street to, to mark that 100 years now as we've heard previously you were asked by an aunt and when she was in her 90s to find out a little bit about what had occurred in hong kong and that resulted in a book by you but also your interest and passion for further projects now in terms of Gresham Street, the fact that your great-uncle, although you wouldn't have known him, was
1: killed here, how does that make you feel? It, it's quite evocative to be standing in that street because although the street itself looks nothing really as it would have done in those days, it really is, it's, you know, I realise I am standing on the pavement that he would have walked up. It's quite emotional, really, and especially if I, if I go over to St Michael's Cemetery where he is buried along with his cousin Edmund, who died four years earlier, and the little daughter of Patrick O'Sullivan, so Mortimer O'Sullivan's niece, who died four days after him of meningitis. There was a very, sadly, a, a, a large meningitis epidemic, which hit particularly the Chinese community here in 1918.
0: So when you look at the 100th anniversary of the Gresham Street affray, I mean, obviously it received wide newspaper coverage at the time. And also, how were the
1: funerals of the police officers marked? The funerals were absolutely huge. As I say... Nothing like this had happened in Hong Kong, nothing of this magnitude. And there was a general real sense of outrage that the police should be so attacked. There's also a sense that the first war in Europe had been going on now. It was into its fifth year. And although there were a lot of men serving in Europe from Hong Kong, there was still a sense that Hong Kong was in this privileged position of not really suffering. And here was a time when Hong Kong, in a sense, marked its suffering. So the procession for the funeral, which started at number five station out on Wellington Road and would eventually come along all the entire length of Queen's Road out to Happy Valley, was made up of pretty much every group of people you can imagine in hong kong uh, it was said at the time that half the whole population that's a quarter of a million people came out to pay their respects well i think quite a lot of that quarter million people were coming out to see the see the event yeah you know, they weren't necessarily involved to pay their respects of course but but it was a very very huge moment for the colony
2: the gresson street tragedy funeral of three of the victims Remarkable demonstration of sympathy. The great sensation that the Gresson Street tragedy created in the colony was reflected, yesterday afternoon, in the very large crowd that assembled to pay a last tribute of respect to the gallant men who lost their lives in discharging their duty to the public. It is doubtful, indeed, if a more imposing funeral procession was ever witnessed in the colony. The bodies of Sergeant Clark and the Indian constable were conveyed at 3.30pm from the Government Civil Hospital mortuary to No. 5 police station, where the European sergeants, Indian constables and members of the police force followed in a procession the gun carriages on which the two coffins were placed and halted at the bottom of Murray Road. Meanwhile, the body of Inspector O'Sullivan was conveyed from the Roman Catholic Cathedral to Garden Road, followed by the inspectors and senior members of the police force. Here, the two processions were merged into one, Inspector O'Sullivan's coffin being placed on a gun carriage. The cortege then proceeded to Wanchai Market, where the police reserves and their band joined it.
0: of uh, the Gresham Street affray. I mean, on the one hand, it was a huge
1: tragedy, but there was an element of perhaps police incompetence as well. Yeah, certainly. Henry May, who was the governor and had been formerly the head of the police force, he initially was really angry that, you know, why on earth hadn't these men gone armed? He, he modified that view. That was his view in the, literally the next day. He, he softened that view somewhat. But there then came a review of the way that the police were trained. So within a few years, we see much better training, particularly of the Chinese uh, contingent, who were given more authority and were allowed to take the initiative. And it became standard that the police would, to this sort of incident, go with arms. I mean, it remained basically an unarmed force you know through the 1920s 1930s but the weaponry was much more readily available should it be needed how would you like the hundreds to be marked it, it is good if it can be remembered because i get the sense that majority of people in hong kong have no idea that such an event took place a lot of people have heard of the fire at the race course which happened the following months which of course was a much bigger tragedy 600 and more people lost their lives in that from from all parts of the community but nevertheless I think this is it's quite important that we don't forget these little bits of history because they did have a significant impact on the police force and on people's perception of the force so what about sort of having a bilingual plaque somewhere here on Gresson Street? That would be wonderful. That really would be wonderful. I'm, I'm not sure that necessarily the people in Gresson Street want, want quite the ghosts. We need to be a bit sensitive about what we're d- digging up. And it's not a heroic event, as I think I've made clear. Heroism in terms of Gresson Street happens Mullasingh, Singh chasing that robber up Ship Street. Henry Marriott and his wife, you know, sort of making sure the ringleader didn't live to tell the tale. So the heroism didn't happen here but the waste of life certainly did. Patricia O'Sullivan
0: talking there on the events of the Gresson Street affray 100 years ago. Patricia's book also looks at the lives of her grandfather and great-uncle and the other policemen who came from the town of Newmarket in Ireland in the period 1864 to 1950. Her book also reveals how working-class Europeans would have lived here and is called Policing Hong Kong and Irish History Irishman in the Hong Kong Police Force, 1864 to 1950. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.